Hello, I'm Caroline Carey. I'm a soul worker and soul doula. I have a deep understanding of the soul's journey from cradle to grave, and I've traveled between the veils of the spirit realms. I've studied the path it evokes, and I've come to understand why the majority of today's problems are rooted in the loss of spirituality. So my work, which is Middle Earth Medicine Ways, empowers people to find what is lost and to reclaim their own circle of strength by embodying their soul. And I do this by holding a space for healing and soul retrieval with shamanic skills, trance and conscious dance. I love creative writing and poetry. Please join me in listening to these wonderful teachers and soul workers, the facilitators and the guides of spiritual and shamanic work. They all have something very important to share and are a great gift to our communities. I've learned a lot from listening to them. I invite you to also. Well, it's New Year's Day. Happy New Year to you. And um, yeah, I met Claire Dubois at a women's festival some time ago. I heard her speak and I was inspired. She has a quality about her that is very powerful and courageous. And I was full of admiration. I noticed how she commanded her knowledge and uh, what she had to share about women's growth and comradeship. And how she talked about nature and self-care and supporting women women supporting women and I'm very much about that um, I feel that that's a way forward for us all and when I spoke to her although she founded tree co-founded tree sisters uh, with Bernadette Ryder another great friend of mine I was talking to her about menopause and self-care and coming to a time in our life where we might have to let go of some of the various projects that we've been part of. And she talks about this. And as I listened, I realized I'm at a very similar stage in my life, being in my 60s now, feeling like I do a lot and I have a lot of projects and I manifested a lot. And now it's about looking after myself as it finds its own journey still being part of that very much and offering what I do. But the way Claire spoke about it, I thought, yeah, um, this is a really important teaching for us, uh, particularly when we come to that second half of life. So have a listen. I hope you'll enjoy what she has to share. And please like, share and do what you can to support these podcasts. And um, yeah, that's uh let me know if there's anything you particularly want to share around this subject. Okay. Claire, thanks so much for being with me. Um, I know you as somebody who co-created the Tree Sisters Foundation with Bernadette Ryder, who's a, another very lovely friend of mine. And um, I followed that trail for many years now, I think, 
And um, Tammy, how did you come to get involved in that? And what was your, yeah, what, what started it off? Gosh, um, <clears throat> that was a long process. It started probably in my 20s when I started having nightmares about no more clouds. And, um, you know, England with no clouds means England with no rain. And they were relentless. I relentlessly dreamt about no more clouds. And I, climate change was in the news, had been since I was a teenager, but nobody seemed to be paying any attention. Um, and I was suddenly dreaming into this reality of the thing that got me were imagining the beech trees dying because beech trees are really wet trees. They need a lot of water. And they're my favorite trees. And so I would I would be going for my walks and I'd be imagining all the beech trees dying and what it would be like if you were watching everything dying and there was no more rain. And I was beside myself, like completely beside myself. And I became obsessed with clouds. And because uh, it was the absence of clouds in my dreams that were the that was the thing that was really hitting me. And so I would talk to the clouds and I would take pictures of the clouds and I, I'd always loved clouds. I should have been a meteorologist probably. And um, but it took on this whole new thing. It took on like they were my safety. They were the safety for England. They were the safety for the beech trees. And so I. Um, my climate activism started with grief, major grief for the trees. And um, so that was in my late twenties. And then I was kind of uh, wandering around in my life. I mean, I was a healer back then. I was working on consciousness shift. I was working with people who suffered from trauma and I was trying to understand what created shifts of behavior in people like what was the root of the issues and how you got to the root of issues and then i went to a um a five rhythms dance retreat uh back i think it was literally the turn of the millennium i think it was around 2000 2000 or 2001 and it was patterns in the sand and we were split up and did little groups and told to do ritual theater which i hate I couldn't bear doing anything that put me out front. And um, so they gave my little pod of seven people uh, the rape of the earth, which was, you know, quite a thing and not exactly what you would do on New Year's Eve as a joyful thing. But anyway, that's what they gave us. And so I said, well, I'll be the earth because <clears throat> that's easy. I'll just get raped. I'll have the least to do and uh, you can all do all the doing and I'll just sit on a chair and hand out cups of tea. And that's what I did. They, they they dressed me in every layer of clothing that we could possibly find. So I was like this enormous bag woman sitting on this chair and I was just handing out cups of tea. And the whole point was, no matter what you do to Gaia, she'll just keep giving and she'll just keep giving and she'll just keep giving. And they raped me. So they like were pulling off my clothes and yanking at my hair and stripping me and fighting over me and fighting over every last resource. And even when there was almost nothing left, fighting over that. And meanwhile, I'm handing out cups of tea and handing out cups of tea. And um, and then I was naked and I screamed as loudly as I possibly could and threw myself on the floor. And then while I'm on the floor, they're all having this community moment. Oh, dear, we've just destroyed our planet. What should we do? We better put it back together again. They were having one of those. And. I'm lying on the floor and I'm going into shock. And I went 
ice cold, completely ice cold. And all I could hear was all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, it's over. Oh my God, we don't get to put our planet into therapy. Oh my God, wh what are we gonna do? Like, I, it was just like, uh, it was ratcheting up and up and up. And I was just, I didn't know what to, I, I literally was in, like existential complete shock forget the fact that i'm lying on the floor naked in front of a large amount of people i am the planet and i'm dying and they pick me up and they put me back on my seat and they start dressing me and i'm just crying and the whole room is crying and i and i've stopped functioning altogether and you know they do their thing and we have a round of applause and they go and sit back down again and somebody has to come and get me and take me off my chair and sit me down because i can't do a thing and I'm sitting, I don't remember the rest of the theatre watching anybody else. And at the end of the theatre, they're going around with a bag of presents that everybody's brought. And somebody like puts their hand inside the bag because I can't even do that. And they hand me a present and I unwrap it. And it's a little blue book with a white cloud on the front. And in the cloud, it says, you can change the world. And I start howling, like howling all I can you know when you're crying so hard you can hear there's this really weird noise going on and you don't know where it's coming from like I had dissociated so badly and I realized it was me screaming and I picked myself up and I went outside and it's pitch black outside and it's pouring with rain and I just walk off into the forest and I'm like my planet's dying my planet's dying I've got to do something and this voice in my head is just going well you can't do anything what could you possibly do you're, you're, you know, you're totally useless. Like there's just no hope. And I'm going, but I've got to do something. I have to do something. Like, I love this world. I love my world. Well, what are you going to do? You can't do anything, but I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And then I'm like, I've got to call the women together. I've got to gather the women. I've got to gather the women because the feminine is being trashed. And then this voice is like, but women can't do anything. Get back in the kitchen. You're nothing. Like it's just like, and it, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and it got louder and louder in my head. And in the end, I'm screaming at this voice, like, because I'm realizing this isn't just me. This is patriarchal conditioning that like I was inside the argument of you can't do a damn thing. We're just going to control the shit out of this planet until she's gone. And I'm and I'm railing against it. And it's just like, I don't care what you say. I can do something. I can do something. And in the end, I was just standing there like drenched, freezing, screaming at the top of my lungs. I have to do something. I don't care if you think I can't do anything. I have to do something. I'm going to do something for our planet. And that was the beginning. That was the, like, it was this full tilt, um, raging, terrified, distraught me going, that's it. I'm giving the rest of my life to the planet. Like, I don't care whether I'm female. I don't care whether you think I'm useless. I don't care. Like I, for me, I have to do something. And so, um, that was the beginning. I, I would have been, I don't know, 30 something and, and started searching and went over to America and joined this other woman who was doing something around um, bringing the feminine to business. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I was trying with all my psychic skills back then to like help leaders um, make a difference. And, um, and then I went to a social venture network conference in Arizona. And I remember watching Lynn Twist up on stage talking about fundraising and my body's going, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be raising money. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. I've never raised money before. What am I raising money for? And then somebody else gets up on stage and they're talking about 
the Amazon and my whole body goes, you're supposed to be raising money for the trees. And I'm like, really, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? And it was so clear. And I was like, well, I wonder how that's going to happen. I have no idea how that's going to happen. And then uh, a year or so later, I'm in India for health reasons. And um, I find Project Green Hands. It was my guru, my teacher, um, my spiritual teacher. It was out of his ashram that that whole project started. And they were trying to plant 114 million trees to reverse desertification in Tamil Nadu. But he was doing it through um, spiritual growth and bringing people back into relationship with the land. And the whole thing made sense to me. So I became the... Uh, UK coordinator for Project Green Hands. So I'd go back and I'd try and raise money for Project Green Hands. I'm like, that's it. I'm raising money for the trees. Like I, I'm in my place, you know. And then, um, but I didn't want to raise money for the trees the way they were doing it. I wanted to take their social strategy, which was brilliant because it was working in a caste culture, bringing everyone together around the trees. I wanted that to happen in the rest of the world. I wanted it to happen in the UK. So I thought, right, I'm going to, I'm going to distill the social strategy. So I worked with their team in India and I distilled the social strategy, interviewed everybody, got it down to seven points and thought, right, I need to find a team who'll pick this up and then they'll start a reforestation revolution in in, um, in the UK and then we can spread it to the world. And the day I was going to a meeting with a communications team in London was the day that I had the car crash. That was the thing that gave me tree sisters. So I'm rushing, I'm skidding on ice. I'm heading for a over an overpass, like I'm going over a hill. And um, if I'd not hit the tree, I could have gone, I could have died. But I skidded away and I hit the tree instead and I smash into the tree. And inside my car, there's a blinding flash of white light. And inside the white light are two words, the experiment. And this voice starts talking to me as if someone's sitting in the car with me. And it says, um, Humanity is running out of time, but it's not over yet. It's going to take all of you rising to the challenge to get through what's coming. The single greatest fear facing humanity is fear of failure. But you can get over fear of failure by calling everything you do an experiment because you can't fail an experiment. You can only learn. And even wrapped around a tree, I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And I said, what's the experiment? And back comes, you have to reforest the tropics within 10 years. And at which point my life flashes before my eyes. I see everything up to that point as stepping stones to where I was. And then I have this, then I go forward in time and I see what I'm supposed to be doing. And I see myself on a global stage and I see myself out front doing all the leadership and I see blah, blah, blah. I see it all. And I'm like, no, no, absolutely not. Not doing it. Not, that's not me. Can't do it. I'm, you know, no, just absolutely flat out. No. And, um, but the voice just continues. And it basically says, you, you know, you're going to reforest the tropics. You're going to do it through crowdfunding. You're going to do it by this. You need to get everybody together. You have to, re, you know, you have to, um, gave me the whole operating instructions, um, including, you know, women are the missing link. Uh, what's happened to women and what's happened to nature is the same. Women and nature share a common history. What's been done to one has been done to the other. Um, the, the, the consciousness of women is around living things, around cycles, life cycles, um, listening to the body, tending, tending, nurturing. That consciousness has been lost from the planet. Women have to remember who and what they are. Women have to remember who and what they are. Feminine consciousness has to be reinstated or it's over. That was like, boom. 
and then they said your project is called tree sisters it's it's a crowdfunding mechanism blah like gave me the whole thing and so by the time i picked myself up out of the car got the car off the road and walked home to tell my partner that i'd just written off his car um the whole of tree sisters what it was for how it was to be done why it was to be done was just given to me like word for word yeah, yeah. and I, I rang alex and i just said i'm so sorry i've broke i've I've written off your car it's on the side of the road in a heap and he was like why are you crying are you all right and I said no I'm not all right I've just been given a job and I don't want it and he said what is it and I said I've got to reforest the tropics within 10 years and he went silent for a minute and then he just said well somebody's got to do it and that was the beginning so that was how it all came well it came to be because I then tried to do everything other than that for nine months I had a proper nine months gestation of the worst depression of my life like feeling like life had just asked me to do something and I was refusing and I tried everything other than that I wanted to do tree cities I wanted to do everything for men and women and everything I did just kept failing faster and harder and then in the end, I was just like, okay, okay, I get it. I'm doing something wrong. And back, the same voice came for the second time. And I said, you can do all of that, but you do it through the women. Ah, uh, okay. And I said, all right. And then I picked up the phone and called Bernadette. I said, Bernie, I've got a job to do. Can we do it together? And uh, that was that. was that. We started to do it together. You clearly said yes. So what did you, what was the beginning? What did you start to do? What was your first task? Well, the first task, it was interesting. Um, when the voice came back that second time, I said, okay, tell me what a tree sister is. And the voice said, it's a woman who makes five choices to be considerate of life, encouraging of each other, intimate with creation, responsible for its protection and courageous with her gifts. And I said, oh my God, it's a five pointed star. So I ran home and I drew it and I put in the I put everything consideration encouragement intimacy responsibility and courage on the star and then um I did nothing for two weeks and then I rang Bernie and I said I think I've got something because I've been sitting on cushions in this star looking at how the energy of these five things um related to each other can I come and share this with you so I went to Bernie and I put the five cushions out and I was like just stand on that one tell me what you feel just stand on that one tell me what you feel so Bernie being Bernie she danced each one so she showed me with her body what each of the um, capacities were. And she was like, no, you've got the, you've got the um, right and the left leg the wrong way around. So we, we, swift, we switched intimacy and responsibility. And then I suddenly realized what we had. We had um, five element acupuncture for behavior. And we had a paradigm shifting map that would have its counter. It had its shadow map. And um, we started two years together of working with groups of women in that map, trying to understand what we would need to do to create a behavior change mechanism that could underpin a global women's movement. And working with women in Bristol and Bath and Salt Spring and like, um, off, you know, coast of, of Canada and uh, putting it to dance, dancing with it six months of dancing it and starting to build a body of work which we then called the deepening which was what women groups of women could do together to take them around the map because it was basically a flow of energy that 
could create a regenerative consciousness or a degenerative consciousness. And the shadow map was the degenerative and the light map was the regenerative. And so we were going to basically start building everything that we did out of the understanding of the light map. And that's what we did. We just started to build, you know, our first films, our first um, offerings, our first invitations. When we started from nothing with nothing, yeah. um, it took. So that was, we came together, I think, in 2000. And I think I had the crash at the end of 2010. We actually set up an LLC at the end of 2010. 11 and then tree sisters became a charity at the end of 2012 and our first trees didn't go into the ground until 2015 end of 2015 and that's 27 million trees ago 20 and we did you say 27 million trees yeah we um i can't remember what you know i think we passed like we did a campaign in 2017 or 16 i can't remember now I'm not part of the organization anymore. So it's, and I've let go of it so completely to go on my own journey. It's like all of that stuff that was, that was, um, you know, I haven't told the story for a year. It's like, I haven't, I haven't been in Tree Sister Head. You know, that was, that was a part of my life. Now I'm in a different part of my life, but it was very, very strong while we were in the process. Wow. It's quite incredible. It's amazing to hear about it um, and how it all began. Thank you for sharing that. So, yeah, that's a big piece of your life, big piece of your journey, and and what an incredible um, offering to the planet, really, from that first ritual where you felt the pain of the earth, hey, and and you know you came to that at a certain point in your life. What was it like before that? Before the clouds? Before the you were 20 something and, and, and you saw the clouds and you felt for the trees. Who were you growing up? Were you, did you have a connection to nature? Or was it? I always had, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I always had a connection to nature. Um, but my, I had a tough upbringing um, and I had a tough life. And it's, it was, I had a very misogynistic, alcoholic pedophile for a dad. And um, he was part of a ring of paedophiles. And so I had a incredibly confusing, very abusive, um, very dissociated childhood. I thought it was a perfect childhood because I had such a gift for complete amnesia. Um, but I had a very badly broken body. And um, in my late teens and early 20s, I was pretty mentally ill. Um, but I didn't remember. Yeah, I didn't remember until I think I was nine, I was 18 when my memory started coming back, at which point I knew something was terribly wrong because of my behaviours, but I couldn't remember what. So I actually grew up, my father was the headmaster of a boys boarding school and <laughs> it was a enormous stately home in like 50, 50 acres of staggering nature. I mean, staggering, like huge lawns. There was an arboretum of, you know, old massive sequoias and redwoods and just huge trees and a, a vast lake and um, forest. And then all the games fields for the boys. And so my my safety was, my safety was the trees, always the trees. 
and um that was where i hid that was where i played that was where safety was you know the unsafest thing was getting sick and being trapped in the house and the safest thing was just to be able to be outside so nature was nature has always been sanity for me sanity beauty like my happiest happiest everything would always be outside and that's always been the case so i from you know in my early 20s basically after my memory started coming back um i became uncontrollably psychic which is you know they say 85% of psychics were abused as children and essentially it's so hard to be in a body that's full of trauma you stay out or you stay in your psychic centers because of you know that's hypervigilance that's how you protect yourself so i was extremely competent psychically i was a very good healer and i was a total loner to the point of almost being a hermit and so i couldn't work i couldn't go out in the world i couldn't be in an office but i could sit in my therapy room and i could work with people one on one and work with their trauma and their bodies so i did that for two decades pretty much and um and just dealt with my own recovery which is what i'm back doing again now at 52 i'm back in i'm back in recovery because i've you know i worked myself to a frazzle through tree sisters i almost killed myself and um i had no sense at least I could see I was doing it but I couldn't stop it because I couldn't connect with myself enough to value my body. I could hypothetically and mentally I could see what I was doing, but everyone else and everything else is so much more important that I just overworked myself incredibly badly and I hadn't realized the extent to which I was severely poisoned, severely severely poisoned. Um with heavy metal poisoning and mold poisoning and pesticide poisoning from various different times in my life. and uh by the time i stopped working i resigned from tree sisters this time last year so day of the dead last year i resigned um i'd i'd got my health result my all my blood tests back and i was over danger levels for nine different metals like absolutely critical levels for lead and mercury and various other things and also way over danger levels for glyphosate and a bunch of molds and uh my naturopath was just you shouldn't be alive and i knew it like i knew it and yet still i've been working 60 hour weeks with three sisters and like flat on my back unable to do anything at the weekends and so realizing that i hadn't actually been dealing with the trauma i'd been managing it yeah and now now i'm doing now i'm not working now i'm just working on getting the poison out on both on all levels the emotional poison and the physiological poison and that's my full time job. Fantastic. Well, wow. so is isn't it that way that so often we're giving to something other than ourselves and that self-care is the the thing that gets pushed back time and time again. Um it's so especially, especially for women. You know, that's what we're taught. We're taught that our value comes from what we give, not what we give to ourselves. Yeah. Wow. So what are you doing now? You're you're, you're in the states. You're looking after yourself. You're on a healing journey. you've taken up from what you where you left off before tree sisters is that what you you're saying i i'm i'm in a well i'm in a whole new phase um i what was really interesting was um 
last August, a year ago, last August, I went back to that school that I grew up in mm. um, for the for the first time. And uh, because I knew that I needed to start addressing the trauma at a completely other level. And it was a headmistress rather than a headmaster. And her name was Kate and she was completely amazing. And I reached out to her saying, you know, really sorry for this, but I'm a daughter of one of the ex headmasters and I need to come into your private quarters. I need to walk around inside your private quarters and face a bunch of stuff. Um, the school actually burnt down after my dad left. And uh, so I knew that, you know, what had happened to me wasn't in the fabric of the building anymore, but they'd rebuilt it. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see the new school. Like I wanted a new, a new memory, like a new canvas. And she was like, come, you know, come, if you need my help, I'm there. If you don't, I'll stay away. Like I'll hold you if you need help. I mean, she was amazing. And, um, so I arrived and she took me around the school and then, you know, we did all the different stories and all the lovely stuff. And then it was time to go into her private quarters. And she was like, do you want me to come in? And I'm like, no, I'm going to go in on my own. And so she, she let me go in and I went in and I faced it all. And when I came back out, she said, you know, I need to go to the police. I need to tell the police. She said, nobody ever told the police, did they? And I was like, no, but he's been dead for, you know, however many years, like, there's no point. She's like, there's always a point, mm. you know, a crime is a crime. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> she uh i was like okay well you know if it makes you feel better fine go for it and she was like well i want to talk to you the pedophile division of northumberland police will want to talk to you and i was like all right i'll give them my number and i didn't think any more of it and then um two days later like the day before i was due to speak to the police my body just started going into shock all over again and i i was up on the hills in the lake district hiking with mark and I suddenly realized I was like, kept falling over. I'm like, what's going on with me? And then my legs started shaking and I just, my whole system just started to collapse. And I screamed for Mark and I was like, get here now. Like I'm, something's happening. And he just grabbed me. And I started crying my eyes out and going into total shock all over again. And it was, I'm going to be found out. I'm going to be found out. And, um, and it was this, I'm the monster, I'm the monster. And the police are going to know I'm the monster. But there was enough of me, the adult, witnessing it to go, wow, there it is. There it is. I've been telling my mum all these years, you know, I know I have a messiah complex. Nobody tries to save the world and kill themselves in the process unless it's a messiah complex. But I couldn't find it. And I'd always thought, yeah, it'll be raging insecurity due to what happened to me. But I couldn't access it. I couldn't get to the key. And in that moment, when I felt the monster inside me and my terror of the police. And then I was able to say, it's not me. I'm not the monster. Dad's the monster. And dad's about to get a crime number. And the police are going to give dad a crime number. I'm not the criminal. It was like this enormous key turned in me. And, um, and I realized, oh, I don't have to spend my life trying to validate myself. I'm actually... I'm not the monster. And with that, all my capacity to overwork vanished. Like it vanished. I, I couldn't do another thing. And, and so that was when I was like, well, I'm going to have to resign. I don't want to be a leader anymore. I don't want to be out front anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to save anything anymore. Like I could finally re realize the state that I was in. And it was like, there's only one thing I got to do. And that's put the oxygen mask on my own face and, 
yeah. get myself back. And um, so since then, it's been um, full tilt recovery. And that means, oh my God, like an endless, really serious detox for all the metal and the mold and then all the trauma work. So it's like physical and emotional poison, like figuring out where the interface is and undoing them together. And it's, it's hardcore. It's the most hardcore work I've ever done. It's easily the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's amazing because I'm starting to put myself back together again and I'm starting to come into my body, which I couldn't do. You know, there's no amount of anything that will put you back in your body if there is too much trauma in your body for the soul to tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't be in your body, then your body will suck up anything that is a similar frequency in which case poisons, viruses, pesticides, you'll just vacuum them up. Mm. And because they're a vibrational match to horror, you know, they're, they're, they're the poison that we use to shield ourselves and hide ourselves and make ourselves sick. And so I'm undoing that. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work, the deepest work to understand how to remove patriarchy from my system which i'm well aware will be something to do with you know the next thing that i do in my life you know i got so used in inside of tree sisters to my life being you know of public service like, there's nothing i go through that i don't think about how to gift it as a path for others like how does this become relevant for others and you know my life has been recovery from patriarchy you know, my father was brutal. I have absolutely zero sense that being a girl was anything other than a death sentence. And, you know, that's our world. It's our world all over still. Like, yes, we can say that it's changed for women vastly in some countries. Some countries, it's it's as horrific as ever. And if any of us are in this world are going through that, then all of us are being affected. So, you know, I'm still very much aware of what is looking deeply in myself at what allowed me to abuse the feminine in myself, like the internalized patriarchal patterning. Because if I, as I undo it in myself, then that becomes of value to the world. Yeah. Well, thank you, Claire. Well, it's really touching. I've, I've heard you speak to the women at the, um, is it called the Rose Festival, the Heart of the Rose oh, Festival recently? Yeah, and I was part of uh, one of the groups that you held and you were really bringing women together with a, a beautiful sisterly connection, learning to appreciate each other, learning to love each other, to encourage each other. And I heard you you sharing, you, you were speaking in, in the circle last year and I really noticed the power in your voice and the passion in your voice around talking to women, um, you know, to stop um, hurting each other, to stop being jealous of each other, to stop bitching about each other, stop gossiping about each other, to be real with each other. And it, you know, I've, I've recently posted stuff up about the witch trials and um, some of the, the, oh, the stories that have gone down in history. Um, where women were against each other for their own safety. 
Yeah, women have have um, you know pointed the fingers at at their neighbours, you know, to um, to ensure that they don't get they're not the ones that are picked out. You know, oh, I'll I'll send her to the the gallows rather than it happened to me, to the flames, to whatever was happening. And um, I I feel like there's still a lot of that going on in society today. That women are not kind to each other in so many ways. But I heard you speak out about that and and i remember the shivers in my spine at that time and think god this woman's got a powerful message and she delivers it so incredibly well um you do you have a strong voice for that and i really appreciate that you you've done so much work in giving and you now have to give to yourself and it's that whole thing of putting the gas the the, the mask on your face the oxygen mask before putting it on everybody else's so how are you resourcing yourself for this part of the journey because i think a lot of women would would want to know this how do we resource ourselves in order to do the healing work for us one of the best things about this point in my life is that i'm slap bang in the middle of menopause okay yeah so i'm now it's a year since i last bled and um and thank god for alexandra pope and the map that she's given around what the spiritual initiation of menopause because if I hadn't had that, I I don't know what I'd have done in terms of like freaking out about where I am. Because there is a part of menopause where you want to give up everything. You want to throw everything away. You want to throw the whole life that you've had thus far out of the window. Because you're in a death. You know, it is a death of a whole phase and you're, you're turning towards elderhood. And she always describes it as like stepping off into the void. And it does feel like free fall. And... The voice in you does become, um, you know, unequivocal. And that was that was the thing that, that kind of stunned me was there I was, this person that up until that point had really struggled to do anything for myself. I'd do anything for anyone else, I'd do anything for the planet. Like, give me a give me a task and I'll do it well, um, except take care of myself. And um suddenly the voice changed inside myself and it was like, no, not doing that. No, not doing that. No. And I was like, what's going on? Like, what is going on? And um, it's like the premenstrual phase of the monthly cycle where your energy is dwindling and you become way more discerning. Like that's menopause in the life cycle. It's like the absence of energy, uh, the change in your hormones suddenly means that you become very clear about stuff very very clear about stuff and you will not take bullshit i mean you know this you're ahead of me in this and um but I, so i had the the internal impetus was already there to say this is nuts you don't have the capacity to do this half-heartedly you can't stay half in and not be all in like you can't do half in you're only ever all in that means you've only got one choice you have to be all out like you got to be completely out or you will keep holding responsibility and so the menopausal energy, the menopausal unequivocal, like just black and white, no, was what helped me resign, which was probably the most painful thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm still not. I still haven't actually. I'm de- I'm dealing with horrendous paedophilia and you know like the nightmares of of major sexual abuse. And I can manage that, like I'm managing that, but I still haven't been able to manage deserting my own organization. Like it's my only child, you know, but this, but this 
clarity of knowing, this clarity that says, you've only ever been a reaction to everything that happened to you. If you want to be more than that, then you have to let go of what was done to you. You're going to, you have to move that trauma out of your body or you're still just going to be a bunch of reactions. And if you want to discover who you could be, then um, you're going to need to disidentify with all of that and repattern your nervous system so that you're not simply a bunch of, you know, hair trigger, hypervigilant defense mechanisms wrapped around a terrified heart. You know, mm. you want, you like, I want the rest of my life to be a, arising from a, like, I've got an enormous heart. But it's so hard for me to let love in because I'm so defended. I can love out like a flicking waterfall, you know, but letting it in. And that's the same with my cells. It's like my cells can't let the nourishment in because they're wrapped in poison. And so it's like letting go, letting go of the poison, letting go of the push, letting go of the insanity that is how we've been taught to be on this planet and holding space for something completely other to emerge. And, and I'm incredibly lucky because I have a really close friend who is financing me as if this was a job. So I have a very, I have a very small wage, but I have a wage. So I don't have to work because he's really aware that, you know, you don't have savings when you're working for a charity. You just, you know, that's not the sort of income you have, but he's really aware that I can't go back to work. So, you know, the privilege I have is I'm being held. So by somebody that understands that this this job that I now have, my current job is recovery. Um, and so I am giving myself completely mm. to that. That is that is it. And I get up in the morning and I do my practices and I figure out what I'm supposed to be eating and I figure out what my body wants and I go and do therapy and I go and do this and I, you know, and I it's like that is that is a wholehearted demolition of who I'm not. I am completely committed to discovering what happens as a human being when you let go of the past and you and you give life permission to arise through you in a different way. I want that. That's all I want. And so that's all I'm doing. And at some point, I presume that will be sufficiently done for something else to start coming through, at which point then I will figure out what that's going to do. But not until, like, until I am sane, and healthy I don't do a damn thing for anyone yeah sounds absolutely right I'm I'm 13 years post menopause in my 13th year actually and um, I can remember that time where I just knew I had to stop doing things I took two years two years where I just stopped I, I just didn't I wasn't giving it to my work I was I was just really almost like shutting down some part of me um, and I spent loads of time in the yurt I had in the garden and just played and just created and made collages and danced and wrote poetry and wrote a book. And, you know, it was just all my energy had to go into my own healing journey. And at the same time, my three daughters were kind of coming of age, like 16, 18, 21, I think they were at that at that point. So I didn't have to really look out. I didn't have to mother so much even. They were getting jobs and doing their own thing. So it, it I, I really met that moment in time with, the possibility of just yeah, I'm a, I I want to see what wants to grow through me, 
And that was the important thing, like what does want to come through now? I'm going to get to know who I really am, not who I thought I was, but who I really am. And yeah. it's an amazing soul journey, hey? And you're right in that, hey? Which I'm is right in it. Yeah. I think it's I think it's the single biggest initiation of my life, which is another reason why I'm like, everybody else, back off. Like, this is it. I give this to myself. Like, this is it. This is the most important thing I've ever done. Nobody's going to interfere with it. It's going to take as long as it does. This is mine. This is mine because this is where I get to discover who me actually is. Yeah. You know, and and I love it. I love that because that unequivocal menopausalness it gives you that energy. It's like it's an actual support to say no. Like, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is great. Like, I'm being helped by my hormones. Like, they're helping with the clarity they're telling me what I need and to not listen now would be a level of self-harm that would be preposterous but to you know to listen to it now that's why I mean like put these women who are having children so late and you know having kids at 45 and I'm just like holy crap how do you even give yourself to somebody for 20 years when you're about to go through the biggest initiation that is demanding you give yourself to yourself like if if we were taught as women what menopause is early on in our lives, I think we'd make such different choices. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you there. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, it surprises me how there is so much dread around the menopause because I, I actually looked forward to mine. I was, I was determined to look forward to it. I was lucky. I, I didn't have terrible bleedings and, um, you know, periods, menstrual cycle, anything like that. It wasn't difficult for me, but I had six babies. So, you know, it was kind of part and parcel. What you do, you know, just get on with it. Um, but, you know, I didn't have a terribly difficult time. And I know some women do, and menopause is very challenging for them. But I also think, uh, you know, our attitude towards it has has been, yeah, it, it hasn't been given a chance to to be healthy, a healthy one. Um, we're not taught that it's a really good time for us, that it's an important process for us. It's a rite of passage. Um, so yeah. we fear it. Why are we taught to fear it? It's part of the patriarchal system, I think. Take the medication, take your medicine, dear. You'll be okay, rather than, you know, go off the rails. Um, but actually, some of those crazy dances are really important. And I had quite a few. And I enjoyed them. I liked the rage. I liked the heat. I liked the sweats. You know, it was important for me. So, um, no, I but the sweats, like I, I don't deal with heat very well. The emotional stuff, fine. The physical, physiological stuff, I've struggled with. But most important to me is, is understanding that this genuinely is an initiation, and that it is a sacred, sacred time. And you're only going to get it once, you know. And I, I, I never was able to get on top of the menstrual myst uh, mysteries while I was bleeding I just couldn't seem to get my head around that and so doing menopause properly feels like my way of apologizing to my body for screwing up for my all my menstrual years and overdoing it relentlessly and refusing to rest you know and understanding I had I had these really strong adaptations to trauma like it was not safe to relax. It was not safe to let my guard down. I coped by driving myself on and on so I didn't feel anything, you know, and like I can look back and go, okay, that was all survival. It was all survival. 
all right, now deal with the trauma and what happens. Who are you when you're no longer in survival? You don't need to do this anymore. We don't need to do this anymore. And um, yeah, I think it's something else being female on this planet. It really is. It's brave being female on this planet. Yeah, absolutely. And so for for, for women who, um, who who actually, they can't stop working or they can't stop mothering. They, they've got to carry on with their jobs, with their children, their families. Um, you know, what what do they do in those kind of situations? What what if what has helped you to, you know, that you think you could pass on to women to support themselves, to empower themselves at this time if if they don't have the the ability to slow down? Stop. Well, first of all, they're gonna have to slow down. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you don't have there, much there, there is no choice. Like you have to slow down. But I would say um, the first thing is get honest. Mm. Dare, dare to be brave enough to get honest. And you start by being honest with yourself. You start by asking yourself questions and asking yourself what that you are doing is nurturing you, what that you are doing is habituated, what is, mm. what do you do that you're using to numb yourself off from your actual state? What are you doing that um, is bringing you into greater connection with yourself? You know, how honest are you being about your needs yeah. with yourself? Because if you're not being honest with yourself, then you can't be honest with your family or your colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not being honest, can you be honest with yourself about what of that are? What are you so afraid of that you would rather compromise yourself than face? Like that's where you start. Yeah. You start with you start with being honest so that you can take stock. You know, where am I? Okay, I'm living a lie. I'm giving myself I'm I'm draining myself of energy. I'm in a job that I hate. I'm in a marriage that I don't want to be in. Or, you know, okay, I'm really okay in my marriage. I don't think I want to keep doing this job. I need to be able to see a way out. What? Okay, that terrifies me. All right, I'm terrified. Okay, so I'm terrified. And if there was something else that I could possibly do that would feel nurturing and appropriate, what would that be? You know, is there a way to do less hours? And like, is there is there a way to do less of this and more of something else? Like, Unless you're honest with yourself, you can't even begin to look at what could change in my life. You know, okay, I need my husband to make dinner half of the time, or I need my children not to do this and this two days a week, two days a week, I need time off. Like, how can I start to prioritize myself and educate my family about what I'm going through so that they understand mm that the way to get the best version of me is to let me have the this amount of time on my own in stillness with no one pulling on me like there are there are things that you can do no matter what your life is to let your body know that you know it needs something different and that you're willing to start carving out time and space for it are you getting enough nurturing woman time are you in a circle of women that you can talk to? Would it help you become more honest with yourself if you were in a circle of women? Can you find a circle of women? You know, there's there's just, there's a lot that you can do. Mm. Um, but it starts with, are you happy? Are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Are you tired? Are you nurtured? 
are you being honest? If you're not, are you willing to get a pad of paper out, sit down and start questioning yourself and letting yourself get honest? Even if that just leads to more overwhelm because you can't see a way out in the immediate, you know, can you at least face that? And then can you then start to really break your life down into like sections that you can look at honestly and go, okay, could I make a change in there? No, could I make a change in here? Well, actually, yeah, I could, little one. Am I going to do it? Probably not because I'm afraid. Okay, why am I afraid? Why is it so frightening as a woman to say I have needs and I need to that I need them to be respected and I'll start that by respecting them myself. And if all of you are incapable of respecting my needs, then I'm not going to cook for you. You know, it's like, okay, what's it going to take? What is it going to take for you to live a more honest, more nurturing life? And only you can decide what that is and how you're going to do it. Uh, I think there's going to be lots of our listeners. I know I can just see the little antennas going, oh, yeah, I need some of this. I need to take this on board because that's that just sounds great and uh, and scary. Hey, scary for some. It's really scary. Yeah. It's still scary for me. You know, there was a moment. Um, there was a moment before I went on stage once um, when I had promised my best friend who I was about to lose to cancer, promised her she'd given me one of her fabulous dresses that I was going to actually dress up and put something half attractive on on stage rather than getting on and wearing my usual brown trousers and like getting up there, you know, I was wearing this beautiful plunge necked navy blue gown which was this gorgeous dress and I never dress up and I don't really wear makeup and I don't really wear jewelry and I and I was upstairs and I was getting all dressed up and I put this dress on and I put on a ton of weight from when she'd given it to me and I tried it on to that moment and my breasts were literally falling out of front of this dress and I looked down at my cleavage and I was just like oh my god I cannot I can't go downstairs looking like this and this voice said you're wearing my face. Will you demean me? And I suddenly realized, oh my God, the goddess is within me. The goddess is here. I am wearing her face the same way every woman is an embodiment of the goddess, of she. And we're all wearing her face. And I and I was I was like rigid in front of the mirror, like staring at myself with my mouth open, going, Oh my God, if I if I undress myself now, if I dumb myself down now before going on stage I'm dumbing her down I'm saying to her no I'm going to hide you again and so I I just went downstairs and there's everybody in jeans you know and then I am dressed like this glamorous thing and I got up on stage and I did the I did an incredible presentation and then I got off the press I got off stage and I sat downstairs and I was like god I started crying and I couldn't figure out why I was crying and then I remembered when I had the car crash, I saw a future in which I was on stage and I was no longer afraid to be on stage. It took me years to get over stage fright, but um, I was no longer on afraid. And I realized that the moment in the future that I'd seen was this deep, was the speech that I'd just done on stage and um, that I'd got to where I was, where I'd been most afraid of getting, where I could be out front fearlessly. This was about five years ago or so, I suppose now. I'm sharing that story because I just want everyone here to know 
you wear the goddess's face. Your body is inhabited by that sacred spark that is the divine feminine. And when we compromise ourselves and when we demean ourselves and when we override ourselves and when we're not honest to ourselves, we're demeaning her. We're saying, you know, we're saying no to her. And um, we're making her less. We're not recognizing what we are. And if we can allow ourselves to feel her and to face her and to and to and treat our bodies as a space that she inhabits, you'll change your behavior. <laughs> you'll change your behavior. And your husband doesn't have to understand who's at home in your body. Like it's not about whether anybody else decides or recognizes who you are. That was why I said yes to Teresa's in the end. We can't wait for men to understand the value of the feminine. Women have to understand the value of the feminine. And when we unequivocally value the feminine, the world will change. Oh, yeah. Yes, Claire. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm raring to go here. <laughs> you really inspired me. Gosh, it's a big responsibility, hey? Isn't it? what we were born for it is it is and it is a big responsibility blimey thank you thank you for that wonderful message so what are you hoping through this menopausal time through this rite of passage what are you hoping is going to emerge or are you just going to wait and see i am waiting to see and um I am assuming, hoping, trusting that it will be a much more mature, um, much more grounded, much more joyful, much more appropriately generous right. um, version of myself who is not a beggar in life anymore, is not killing myself trying to earn validation that I never got when I needed it who validates myself to such a degree, I will only do what is appropriate for my nervous system. Um, yeah. A writer, there's a writer in here and a painter and a singer and a dancer and a healer. And, you know, she's all been put on one side and she's coming back. Right. And then, you know, I'll figure out what of that is directly a contribution environmentally if that's where I go I don't know I mean literally I people are like are you not frightened that you don't know and I'm like no I'm thrilled you don't know what it's like when you're so purpose-driven for so long to 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 have it taken away and and to be back in the unknown again it's a profound relief I was driven every second of every day and night I would work in my sleep mm. you know I not know how not to work and I had a global team so you know my morning here in California my UK team were already up and running and I was behind and then as I went to bed my Australian team were getting going and so I'd be I'd be working from like six in the morning until 10 at night every day and um, that was my life and now I get to wake up and go yoga or dance yeah. you know big decision what does my body want you know, and the trees on my property are starting to talk to me. Finally, I'm slow enough. Mm -hmm. I'm slow enough to be entering into a different relationship with life. That's what I want. That's what I want. 
I don't care what my next job is. If I can talk to the trees, if I can listen to my body, it's not going to be what I do, although I guess because it's me, it'll probably be very vaguely important, but the it's how I do it. It's how I'm going to live my life Completely. that matters to me at the moment. And I'm building new muscles to even, you know, the muscles that I'm growing now will be the muscles that I use for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. One last question. What would you say to the little girl that you were, who was struggling so much? You make me cry. Um, I would say you are an absolute miracle. Mm. You are unbelievably brave, unbelievably resourceful, unbelievably gifted, and you will go into hiding for a long time. And there will be a point, many points in your life where you don't want to live. And... um, something will always step in to ensure that you survive and I will be coming home to you to pick you up in every moment that I become conscious that you're lost I will come and get you and there will be a point that we will get better and we will feel alive again and we will feel safe and I also want to tell her that there will be a man in her life that will love her more than she ever imagined she could ever be loved, who's got the biggest arms and the biggest hands and the biggest heart, and that he will hold her in a way that she was never held as a child, and that she will feel so safe and so loved and will be so loved. And she's got all of that to look forward to. And so no matter how crappy it gets, there is bright sunshine and vast spaces of natural beauty and so much joy ahead of her and that all will be well oh clay making me cry now thank you so much this is such a treasure of wisdom and experience for us to hear i really appreciate you coming on board with us to share your sole purpose and where you are in life now thank you so much well, I didn't share my sole purpose, but I'll tell you what it is. Go on. To learn to love. Okay. To learn to love and to merge with nature so completely that I can hear her voice all the time. That's that's the purpose of my life. That is my choice, is to learn to love unreservedly. And that means loving into the most evil places to the most darkest places, which is what my life has given me. It's given me a gateway into hell. To learn to love unreservedly until there is at least a path through this body of mine that shows the world you can love anything back into wholeness. And in that wholeness, to know yourself as part of nature, that's my purpose. Bless you. Thank you. Full circle, hey. Thank you for being with me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker. My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them.
Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.